Amen. He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and power, for He is the resurrected Lord. Amen? He is King. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We have a lion who is raging through this world right now, seeking to devour and destroy all who trust in Christ. His name is Satan. But the Lion of the tribe of Judah is greater than the lion who is seeking to devour and destroy our faith today. He is Our Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of this worship that we can give him. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of your praise. Oh, I pray that you would know him. I pray that you would worship him. I pray that you would give him all that he is due, for he is Lord. Well, it is good to worship him together with you today. Jesus has conquered death. He is now reigning as the resurrected king, and we have gathered to praise him. So it's time for the reading of Scripture. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to read from the resurrection account in Luke chapter 24. So Luke chapter 24 is going to remind us of how the disciples originally discovered Jesus' resurrection. And then we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. And our entire sermon today is just going to be focused on that one verse from Philippians 3.10. But first... Uh, we're going to read from the account in chapter 24 of Luke. So open your Bibles to Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word as our gift to you. All you have to do is just raise your hand, and you can use it in this service, return it to the tables, or take it home as our gift to you. We would love for everyone to have a Bible of your own to read. And before we read Luke 24... Just want to remind us of the, the privilege that we have in this hour together this morning. Easter truly is a very special Sunday. For many in our nation, Easter is uh, filled with many happy traditions. Traditions like egg hunts and marshmallow chickens and big meals and family gatherings and even church attendance and While all these traditions can be pretty special, my prayer this morning for us here and those of us listening is that God's Spirit would help us pierce through the fog of all of those happy traditions so that we could see the eternal significance of what difference the resurrection of Jesus actually makes in our personal daily lives here. After all, the the resurrection of Jesus is actually what motivates our gathering together as God's people every single Sunday morning, motivating us to praise God and encourage one another with our prayers and with our singing and with our teaching and with our fellowship. So this is a special moment indeed this morning that we can gather together. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are happy. Some of us are poor, some of us are wealthy, some of us are strong, some of us are weak, but we've gathered together this morning to quiet our busy schedules and just for a moment gaze upon the resurrected Jesus and be satisfied in his resurrection power, which he's given to all who believe in him. So friend, I am so glad you're here. I am so glad you're with us this morning. 
Here at Newcastle Bible Church, we believe that we honor God every time we make the point of the scripture, the point of our message. Because we want you to see, I want to see and savor the beauty of God as he has revealed himself to be. So today we're going to begin by reading Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And then our sermon, like I said, is going to be based on just one verse from Philippians chapter 3 to help us understand what difference does this resurrection make in our daily practical lives today. So if you're able, please stand with me out of honor of the reading of God's word. I'm reading from Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1 from the ESV translation. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, speaking of Jesus' disciples, particularly the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James And the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, there is no God like you who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our life, who is worthy of our sacrifice, and yet you are the one who sacrificed for us. We praise you this morning. In all of our weak, fickle, In competence, we come and we praise you. We desire to to lift high your name. We desire to submit our hearts more fully with greater vulnerability, with greater trust and faith in you today. God, you rose from the dead so that we would not continue to live in the grave of sin. So I pray this morning that you would set captives free. I pray, Father, this morning that you would use the preaching of Philippians 3, verse 10 to open blind eyes, 
to unstop deaf ears, to let the scales of worldliness and materialism and unbelief fall from our eyes that we might behold the glory of you in the face of Jesus. Please, Father, we wait upon you with eager expectation. Come and feed your church with Jesus. And all your hungry people would say, Amen. Have you ever been tempted to just give up on life? To just say, I'm done. It's, I can't go on. I'm going to wave the white flag. I'm going to surrender. I'm just done with life. You know, that kind of thinking can lead to all kinds of destructive ways, can't it? Could be suicidal thoughts. Could be harmful practices and habits. But sometimes giving up on life just looks like a severe numbness of irresponsibility. If you've lived for very long, you've seen some of your friends, some of your loved ones give up on life and spouses walk away from decade-long marriages. Children walk away from the only family they've ever known. Employees walk away from good jobs abruptly quitting and seeming to leave it all behind. Or sometimes just giving up looks like a feverish binge of fake reality or worldly filth. I'm asking you to consider, have you, have you ever been tempted to just walk away and give up, believing I'm never going to measure up anyway, so I might as well give up trying and become the worst possible version of myself and prove all those mean voices true. Dear friend, if you can relate to what I'm talking about, I know personally that darkness I know what it's like to have the blinding hopelessness of desperate despair. Many years ago now in my life, I was severely tempted to throw away everything that I now hold so precious. But God, God saw my despair just like he's seeing your despair today. And God mercifully brought my life into my life, his life-giving power. And he changed my thinking and he changed my living all by his resurrection power. And that's what I want you to see. And I want you to understand today from God's word as we open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Oh yes, today on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to know that the tomb is empty. I want you to believe that Jesus truly rose from the dead. It's a historical fact. It really happened. Jesus was the sinless God-man. 
And he died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. And he raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. And this is the Sunday of all Sundays when we celebrate that our Savior lives. But today, I desire for the resurrection of Jesus to be more to you than just mere head knowledge. As we open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to show you how Jesus' resurrection radically changes us. His resurrection radically changes you when you believe in him. There's supernatural, life-giving power that God employs in our hearts and minds of all those who will trust in Jesus. In other words, there's real hope for your present darkness. The resurrection of Jesus offers you real, practical hope for your life today. No matter how dark, no matter how hopeless your present situation may feel to you, there is a light for your darkness. There's a steady anchor for your soul. There's divine life and hope available, even if you can't yet feel it. And I believe God brought you here today so that you could hear the resurrection hope, the hope of his resurrection power, as seen clearly in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Now, to help us parachute into Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to start reading from verse 7 to catch the context. So Paul's writing in chapter 3. He's just recounted all of his religious pedigree, all of his religious accomplishments in verses 4 to 6. And then he writes this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith and now here's our verse, verse 10. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain in the resurrection from the dead. So let's break this down. Verse 10. We're just going to walk through verse 10. Verse 10 begins with the clause, that I may know him, which helps us understand that Jesus rose, write this down in your notes, Jesus rose to enable you to delight, to delight in him. Paul wanted his readers to understand that his highest ambition was to truly know Jesus. The most important thing for Paul was to personally know the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
To know Jesus personally was more important to Paul than any of his religious accomplishments that he could have ever done in this life. After all, look at what Paul said in verses 7 and 8. In four different ways, Paul says, I counted my gain as lost. I count everything as loss. I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, literally sewage, dung. Everything that Paul once valued and thought helpful to his own religious pedigree, he now put in a scandalous liability column. Why? For the sake of Christ. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, right? So do you follow Paul's argument? Our first word, that, in verse 10, is connected to these four lost statements that are shown in green on the screens behind me. In verses 7 and 8, the reason that Paul considers all of his past religious accomplishments as manure In fact, the reason that Paul gave up all of his confidence in his own law-keeping was that, verse 10, he might know Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss this because the knowing of verse 10 is the same knowing of verse 8. And it refers to a knowledge that comes from personal experience not just a knowledge of academic head, head knowledge. For example, if you've ever gone to Busy Corner and tasted their, peanut, their chocolate peanut butter bliss pie, I could tell you that that pie is one of the sweetest, richest delicacies that your mouth would ever savor. But if you've never tasted it, you would just know that intellectually. But once you go to Busy Corner and you have their chocolate peanut butter bliss pie for yourself and you feel the happy dance of all your taste buds when you put that piece of pie in your mouth, only then will you personally know the sweetness of that delicacy. And that's why I use the word delight in our outline today. Because Jesus rose to enable you and me to know him personally in such an experiential way that we would actually delight in Jesus more than we would delight in anything else in this life. Now listen carefully because it's actually not natural for any human being to delight in God. It's not normal, it's not natural for any of us sinners to love God. Because every person, me and you included, has been corrupted by sin. We were born into sin, and we've each committed sin ourselves. Every person has failed to love God and others the way we've been commanded to. So sin so corrupts our heart that our souls are dead to God. 1 Corinthians 2 teaches that 
the, the natural person, apart from God's grace, the natural person can't even comprehend spiritual things. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, in their case, speaking of people who had not yet been born again, he says, in their case, the God of this world, little g, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God. In other words, part of sin's consequences on the human soul is that sin blinds us to spiritual sight. Sin always will keep our hearts from seeing Jesus as the most surpassing worth in our lives. Sin always keeps us from seeing Jesus, the resurrected Lord, as our highest treasure. And as long as the scales of sinful unbelief are covering our spiritual outlook, we will only use religion to fight against God rather than to truly love him. Sin makes hearts dead to loving God. But loved ones, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead transforms, radically changes your sight. Do you remember what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was on his way to persecute Christians? And he's on the road to Damascus and the resurrected Lord appeared to him there. God removed the scales of unbelief from Paul's eyes. God supernaturally caused the radiance of Jesus to shine in his heart to give him the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So then let this first point become clear to you today. It is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It is Jesus' victory over sin. It is the resurrection of Jesus that empowers and enables you and me to love God. If Jesus would not have risen from the dead, we'd all still be dead in our sins. Oh sure, we can be religious without the resurrection, but we can never truly love God. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would never delight in him. We would never desire to know him personally. For even the most extreme religious activities are not able to put us in a loving relationship with our heavenly father. And of course, that's what Paul says in verse 9 of our text, right? Paul says he's no longer seeking a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Translation, Paul was no longer trusting his own religious pedigree or his own religious accomplishments for his standing with God. No. Instead, Paul rejected all of his own works and he entrusted his eternal security to the work of God alone. God's gift of righteousness that is received by faith alone in Christ. Simply by believing in Jesus rather than any law keeping. Paul was made right with God. So the first way Jesus' resurrection radically changes you is by conquering the fatal blindness of your unbelief. 
and enabling you to truly delight in knowing Jesus as your highest treasure. Therefore, once you understand that Jesus rose from the dead to set you free from sin's blindness, you will cry out with Paul, Oh, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you personally. You will surrender all of your self-salvation efforts and you will believe in Jesus alone to make you right with God. Friends, this is the purpose of life. This is why God created you, that you might personally know and enjoy Jesus. So I'm begging you this morning. I'm willing to perspire in my efforting this morning to call you to come awake. Come awake from sin's blindness. No amount of good works will save you. No amount of religious law keeping will ever cause you to love Jesus. You have to turn from your self-confidence and you have to realize once and for all on this Easter morning that Jesus' confidence is far superior to self-confidence. Jesus' righteousness is far superior to self-righteousness. You must only believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus to make you right with God. Jesus shed his blood and died on the cross to cover your sins. He rose from the dead to give you spiritual sight to enable your stony heart of sin to again beat with great affection for God. So let out a sigh of relief and let out a sigh of wonder this morning. You no longer have to try to be good enough for God. God knows that you've sinned. God knows that you'll never be good enough to make yourself right with him. And that's why he sent Jesus to take your place. To die the death that your sins deserved and give you the eternal life of righteousness and peace with him that you could have never earned. Paul says, I'm willing to count all of my self-salvation, law-keeping efforts as manure so that I might truly know Jesus How are you going to respond, friend? Will you cease your proud striving? Will you lay down all of your religious law keeping? Will you simply just trust in Jesus that he did everything that's necessary for you and you will never deserve it? See, the only thing that will keep you from believing and receiving salvation through faith is your pride. Because pride hates grace. So humble yourself, repent of your sins, believe on the resurrected Lord who conquered death to enable you to truly delight in him. After all, the first way Paul wants us to know Jesus or wants to know Jesus himself is by knowing the power of his resurrection, which reminds us that Jesus rose to conquer your death with life. 
See, Paul wants to know Jesus so closely that that Paul himself has a personal experience with the same life-giving power of God that rose Jesus from the dead. Paul desires to treasure Jesus more than anything else so that he would truly experience God's power for salvation and that he would experience God's power for sanctification. Because don't miss this, Jesus' power, Jesus' resurrection proves that he has the power over death and the grave. Proves that he's now reigning king over all. Our resurrected King Jesus now walks through the spiritual cemetery of our lives and powerfully overcomes sin and its death with his saving and sanctifying grace. Paul expands on this teaching of the power of Jesus' resurrection in Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6 verse 4, Paul writes this, We were buried therefore with Jesus by baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. He continues in verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, what does it say? No longer be enslaved to sin. And then verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In other words, To know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Do you want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection? Do you want to personally experience that power? To know the power of Jesus' resurrection is to experience God's power over sin in my own life. To experience God's resurrection power is to experience the dynamite power that no amount of human effort could ever produce. Only God's resurrection power is stronger than our sin and its death. Only God's resurrection power is able to pardon your sin and purify your soul. So notice... The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just give us a future hope, to to which it certainly does. Philippians 3.11 speaks of that future hope. But Philippians 3.10 is teaching here that God's resurrection power gives us a present hope, a power to overcome daily sin, a power to overcome trusting in myself that I could never get free from if I was still trusting in my own strength. No wonder Paul desires to know Jesus as his highest treasure. Because experiencing his resurrection power will cause you to rejoice. Oh, rejoice in the freedom from sin's slavery and walk in newness of life. Church, I wish I had better communication skills so that I could get this out to you this morning because this is really, really good news. When Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God, sin's stronghold was broken for every person who believes in Jesus. 
Jesus' resurrection radically transforms us and changes you when you trust in him. But you say, well, but pastor, my, my guilt, my shame, it's too much for me to bear. Oh, no, 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 no. Listen to me, dearly beloved. God's resurrection power has conquered that grave of shame and guilt. God's resurrection power has given you newness of life. You can now walk in the life-giving power of God's spirit. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you right now to give you divine power to defeat the mind ruts the mind ruts of habitual sin in your own soul. That should roll your socks up and down with hope, church. There is no addiction to sin. There is no addiction to self that is more powerful than Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're enslaved to gossip. It doesn't matter if you're enslaved to, to laziness or to lust or to greed or to anger or to pride, no fearful grave is deeper than the reach of God's resurrection power. No past sin is beyond the reach of God's life-giving pardon. There's no prison of bitterness that is so strong that God's resurrection life cannot restore your soul. So believe on Jesus Turn away from your selfishness and, and all of your self-justification. There's life-giving hope for all of your sin and all of your death. There's no power that can withstand the resurrection power of Jesus. So bring all of your sin, bring all of your brokenness, bring all of your law-keeping and your law-breaking and come personally taste the resurrection power that God shares with all who know him. See, knowing Jesus personally, not just knowing about him, but knowing him personally is the greatest satisfaction that any human life could ever experience. So stop living for the glittery smokescreen of what this world values. Forsake all of your proud self-confidence. Make knowing Jesus your highest aim. For once you taste of union with Christ, you will experience the life-giving power of his salvation and his sanctification, of his pardon and his purification of your soul. Now the final phrase of verse 10 takes Paul's thought one step further. He says, I've counted all my religious accomplishments as lost for the sake of knowing Jesus and the superior power of his resurrection, all to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now this is real power. Paul understands Jesus didn't conquer death just to make us comfortable. Jesus rose from the dead to conquer sin and thereby make all who believe in him holy. Jesus conquered death to conform us to his own image. Jesus rose to make you more like himself. Paul says, I've given up everything in this world 
everything this world values because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Meaning that I may share in his sufferings. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Paul? Well, he adds that clarifying phrase, so that I might become like Jesus in his death. Now, at first reading, this seems a bit anticlimactic, doesn't it? Doesn't this seem a little bit contrary to all the resurrection power we've just been talking about earlier in the verse? If Jesus' resurrection gives me life, then why does Paul desire to look like Jesus in his death? Well, first remember, there's no greater demonstration of God's love than the death of Christ. And since God's resurrection power is strong enough to free us from sin's selfishness, the resurrection power of Christ will always move us towards a life of freedom, towards a life of Christ-like love, which will always move us deeper into self-denial. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul explains what he means, saying that Christians are always carrying in the body the death of Christ, so that, why, why are we dying daily, Paul? So that the life of Jesus might be made known through our bodies. We, are, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. Translation, you cannot fully display the resurrection life of Jesus' love until you first died to self. When you crucify your selfish desires, when you lose worldly esteem for the sake of Jesus, it's like you're dying every day. But when you are following in Jesus' steps, of loving self-sacrifice, that's actually how the resurrection power of God gets demonstrated in our lives. It's only when you daily crucify your sinful desires that you will daily conform your life to Christ-like love. Christ-likeness requires knowing Jesus and his resurrection power so well that I start to say no to my own flesh and yes to his spirit so that I can produce a spiritual fruit of love. Do you understand what Paul's saying here in verse 10? To share in Christ's sufferings is to daily crucify your own sinful desires for the sake of him, for the sake of his gospel witness. To, to become like Jesus in his death. You say, what does that mean? What does it mean to become like Jesus in his death? Well, it means to love others by sacrificially giving your own life away for the eternal good of others. A great personal cost to yourself. You see, church, just to get very practical for a moment, our discipleship, our disciple-making mission here at Newcastle Bible Church requires that every one of our members would truly, personally know Jesus 
and that we would fill up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings in this way, that Newcastle Bible Church would, would, would so love Jesus and so be filled with the power of his resurrection that we would be crucifying our own sinful desires and boldly and humbly proclaiming the glory of Christ no matter what it cost us in this world. We will never be faithful to our disciple-making mandate until our souls are radically transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus' resurrection radically changes you when you believe on him. The resurrection enables our hearts to delight in God, to overcome sin's death with his life, to live each day looking more like Jesus and his sacrificial love. So then how are you going to respond to Philippians 3.10 on this Easter morning? Oh, I urge us, we must forsake all self-confidence and we must believe, put our faith and our trust in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead so that you no longer have to trust your own religious efforting to be good enough for God. Jesus rose from the dead so that you can personally connect with the life-giving power of God for your salvation and for your sanctification. Jesus rose from the dead so that you could truly be conformed into the image of Jesus himself so that this world could better know and understand God by how they see you living and looking like him. So do not let this Easter pass before you have placed your faith in Jesus and in his death and resurrection for you. God has a good purpose for you in this life. You must not give up. You must not give yourself over to the darkness of hopeless despair. Simply look up. Pray. Ask God to open your eyes that you might truly know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. For there is no greater joy possible for the human soul than to truly know Jesus and his resurrection power. Let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would free our grasp of our self-dependence that you peel the fingers off of our own self-confidence and self-reliance and self-worship. Oh, Father God, please forgive us. Forgive me, Father. There's so many ways yet in my own life where sinful desires and sinful passions still need to be crucified. And so, Father, we pray together as your people. Oh, help us to know you better. Help us to know the power of your resurrection that brings life into the death of our sin. Help us to know the fellowship of your sufferings. We might share together in this cross-bearing life that others might know that you are worth more than anything this world has to offer. Oh God, I pray that if there's any soul here today who is still in the pit of hopeless despair, oh God, show your mercy and show your kindness and be a God of abundant pardon and compassion and rescue and shine light into the darkness and give hope 
as hearts turn and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus for our relationship with you. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.